Well, you know, when you play the best teams, they're probably going to win. <laughs> yeah. Or, uh, you know, you're the Flyers and you just lose to everybody. <laughs> Welcome to Checking Out the Competition, Ottawa Senators. And this time, this is one of those really cool episodes. I don't know if you know this, Micah. Spoiler alert, it's Micah. Um, once I did one of these about the Leafs with Sean McAdoe, and it was like the highlight of my life. And I consider you to be the Senators celebrity universe version of Sean McAdoe. <laughs> okay. So, so we've got Micah McCurdy, the genius creator and proprietor of HockeyViz.com. Micah, how are you doing? I'm well, Kelly. How are you? Great. Thank you. Um, so given that it's early in the season and we haven't seen the Suns yet and they've played one game and we've played one game, um, why don't you give us a little rundown of the important things in your mind that happened over the summer for the Suns? So the important things that happened over the summer in terms of the roster construction, uh, Suns fans and management got incredibly hyped up about Tim Stutzla. Um They were pretty hyped up before, but they have decided that he is extremely good, and they might be right. Um, That's one thing. The other thing that happened is that um, a bunch of contract negotiations went in a very peculiar way. Um, In particular, Shane Pinto. Um, Shane Pinto is possibly the number two center, possibly the number three center. Um, Shouldn't have been a particularly contentious signing, um, but it still isn't done. Um, and so, you, in fact, you almost certainly won't see him against the Flyers unless something magical happens, uh, probably due to cap screw-up. Mm. Um, exactly what happened there, th- there, there's a lot of cap machinations in the Senator's summer this, this year, which is itself kind of fun, because uh, the team has never been a cap team within recent memory until now. Uh, and... Um, the GM and the fan base are not particularly accustomed to dealing with these things. In fact, it's quite possible that there is a deal in place for Pinto that simply uh, violates the salary cap. <laughs> so, and so it won't be signed until something else happens to make it possible. Um, Tarasenko is a little bit uh, unexpected. Um, some people can't decide if that's an unexpected blessing. Oh my God, I can't believe he wants to play here, uh, you know, because he's a big name. But other people are like, well, maybe he's washed up. Um so there's a lot of confusion there. Uh, also, did his signing, you know, cause or exacerbate some of those cap problems? The so there's a lot of a lot of the things in the sort of sense world are very cap related. Yeah, which has led to a lot of very random rumors that I don't know if if Flyers fans are simply inventing them because we want them to happen. Um, so what, it, it sounds like you're telling me Shane Pinto will not be a flyer. Uh, you, so <laughs> Which we were kind of kicking around the idea of. I don't, I don't think they were made up. I think they were kind of exaggerated a little bit. Um, yeah. But but some of, those, some of those trade discussions, I think, definitely did happen. Um, but I, I, think, uh, I think it was not anybody's first choice. Right. But there was also some Matthew Joseph stuff too, right? Yeah, and he's he's one of the sort of possible choices for like people who the organization perhaps thinks is a little bit overpaid. Um, and so, you know, when you're in cap hell, you want to try to jettison the pieces that are being paid more than they're worth, even if even if the players are good and and Matthew Joseph is good. There's really no reason to be rid of him 
except if it lets you do some other thing that you want to do more. Mm. Um, I might have, I might personally have focused instead on trying to trade um, Kubelik, who we got in the trade for um, Alex DeBrinkett, who went to Detroit. Um, but, uh, but I understand actually the team has looked into that too and has found um, surprisingly few takers. Uh, mm. The trouble is that when you're in cap hell, uh, how flexible your life really is depends a lot on how much the other teams in the league want your players. Right. And, and Senators fans have a higher opinion, and I think evidently also Senators management, a higher opinion of some of those players than other GMs do. And so making a trade of any kind uh, is kind of a pain. Also, I think Dorian has a bit of a reputation as a guy that can be fleeced in trades. And, uh, and so I think his desire to not be fleeced in this case has led to um, a, the obvious standoff that we've yeah. seen there. You know, when no one can get a trade done. Like, and some of the things that get leaked are clearly, clearly silly. Like the, oh, you know, the Flyers would be happy to take Matthew Joseph if only he could be, if he could arrive with a first round pick sweetener attached. You know, this right, is, the, right. sure, I'll take your kind of serviceable car off your hands if you also give me $10,000. You know, it's sort of. Right. So that, I, I don't think anything like along those lines was ever really credible. Whereas I think the actual sweetener that was offered is probably something like a third and, a, you know. Flyers GM is very sensible to say, well, actually, no, we don't really have a place to put your slightly overpaid player, you know, in exchange for very, very little. Right. Um, how is, uh, how's our boy? You guys taking care of him up there? We are taking care of him so good. He looks like he's thriving, to he be honest. Play every day with Brady Kachuk and Tim Stutzla. Which- I mean... On the one hand, um, I feel like that would personally drive me insane to spend my life in the company of such two men, you know, nearly a decade or more my junior. Um, but they're both extremely good hockey players, and that line is by far the Senators' most dangerous line. And it is a serious problem uh, for everyone, um, including themselves. It's not defensively particularly strong, um, but, but they will score on you in an instant. In fact, they, they did it in last night's game. Basically, out of nowhere, a bungled play in the neutral zone led to a clear Stutzla zone entry, and he just wired a goal right off the off the rush. Extremely innocuous play. He's the kind of player who can do that kind of thing, which is why Sens fans have been getting so excited. And, and Drew is fitting perfectly on that line. I love that. It's a uh, it's nice to see. Do you in, do you is the vibe around Claude Drew that he's kind of in it? with the senators or that he could decide at some point to go chase a cup again, or is that not even something that you guys are thinking about yet? It seems, it certainly seems more like the former. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's a bit more relaxed than a lot of the vets that, that come through the, he certainly seems to be just living large, enjoying life that doesn't have the kind of like, you know, trying to think of somebody who really personified that. Like um, Patrick Marlowe went to the Leafs and had much more of a like, you know, I'm going to get it done now kind of. Yeah. Um, and, and Drew did not have that sort of vibe. So if, you know, if one day he would just be like, you know, it's been fun, but I'm going to go somewhere else. I don't think anyone would be too surprised, but I think it's much more likely that he sticks around, especially because he's still getting the kind of, you know, getting to play with the kinds of players that, that I think the best players would clearly love to play with. Yeah, he's definitely not in like the Patrick Marlowe like afterthought vet that we bring in on a one year contract and let him skate around a little bit and see if maybe we can get him a cup. Like he's definitely still a very useful 
hockey player. Yeah, I mean, when you're when you're getting top line minutes, the on a team that, I mean, playoff contention is still very much very much possible for Ottawa this year, um, even though it's not at all assured. So, you know, if you want to be, if your standard is I want to get a cup, Ottawa is maybe not the most obvious choice. But if your standard is I want to play, you know, extremely well with the best players and I want to be in the mix, then then it's great. So let's talk about the team a little bit. 39, 35, and 8 last year. Um, obviously, as you mentioned, a little bit of change over the summertime. A new owner, which I'm assuming will be good for the team on the long term. Um, you say that you're expecting that the, the Senators could possibly be a bubble team, so you're expecting them to be better than last year. Yes. Uh, okay. I, not a lot better, uh, but just enough better to be right around the playoff bubble instead of, you know, a few losses to the wrong side of it. Um, and of course the new owner, I like, I didn't even mention it as much, but the new owner is, is absolutely part of the reason why, why there's the cap troubles that I was talking about. You know, now that there's a willingness to spend um, and, and so that, that's sort of like why we have all of these new problems is because of, of the new ownership. And, and then also of course, part of the, the, Question mark there is that one of the problems last year was was goal, which was not particularly strong. Yeah. Um, 104 goals against per 100 expected, which is uh, pretty bad by NHL standards. Um, and so the so they, they made a, a big splash in goal, um, getting Corposalo, who had an extremely good year with Columbus last year. Um, you know, putting all your all your hopes on a on a big expensive goaltender is a strategy that sometimes works. Uh, and the alternative of playing schmucks is a strategy that sometimes fails. Um, but so there's, there's a lot of people who like, if you've talked yourself into Corposalo, then the team is much better. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if you have an extremely healthy skepticism, then uh, possibly the improvement is very slight. Um, but even, even if they're just the same team that they were last year, bounces alone could put them very close to the playoffs. So, so it's going to, I think it's going to be nerve wracking actually for Ottawa fans, basically the whole season where they're going to be like, Oh, we're so great when they go on a three wins in four games and they're going to be, Oh, we're so terrible when they only get two points out of four. Oh, so like normal hockey fan stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very rational reactions to all the things that happen with your hockey team. That's what we do here. Um, Who would you say is the player? I know you talked a little bit about Stussler, who is obviously turning out to be maybe one of the better players in the entire league, um, at least outside of like the flashy names that everyone knows off the top of their head. Um, who do you expect to be the, the player that's making the biggest impact on the team? Yeah. I mean, definitely Stutzla is where you, is where you start with that. Um, uh, I expect the biggest impact to come from Corpus Allo. Um, if, if he is as good as people hope he is, then, then he like, papers over the only really serious weakness from last season. Um, and on the other hand, the, you know, the, the forward depth is sort of not the kind, it's good, uh, maybe a little better than most teams, but it's not the kind of thing where you're like, oh, that guy, you know, it's, the forward depth is good because that guy's so special. You know, that's really not how it is. The forward depth is good because there's very few extremely poor players. Um, the defense core is also pretty strong. Um, in a very not sort of remarkable way. Like there, it's, there are some teams where you're like, oh, you know, the first pair is incredible and the third pair is absolutely dreadful. 
and and it's like night and day depending on who's jumping over the boards and the the sense decor is not like that um and neither is the forward court really and so apart from apart from Stutzler, you don't have a great deal of that like superstar markety kind of thing um which I think is going to be a little bit weird because for fans, especially because it's so easy to focus on like, oh, Austin Matthews, he's the guy. Like that's the one where, or you know, and of course, in fact, picking on the Reefs is not precisely fair. There, there's a lot of other teams which are even more like, you know, that one guy. He's the like Connor McDavid. You know, he's the team. Yeah. The, and so, but if you want to focus on a name, I think Stutzler has to be the the skater name for that point of view. And. What would you say is the weakest part of the Suns game heading into the season? Uh, it's there's there's a lot of I'm not even sure what the way to put this is. There's a lot of stuff that happens in Suns games where you go, "What on earth was that?" Where <laughs> like it's it's sort of difficult to quantify in a in a like it's not you wouldn't point at a particular finger and say, "Well, that guy," you know. Yeah. Like I, I know from flyer seasons in the last bunch of years, there's been you know times when we'd be like, you know, if only we could get rid of like this one person who inexplicably plays incredible minutes and is terrible, you know, then then the rest of the team is actually like it's it's not that kind of thing. Instead, you know, you just have these bizarre happenings where you think, why did he do that? What like he's usually good? Why did he just incredibly? So these these kinds of I don't know what you trace that down to. You know, it feels almost like I'm talking about a poltergeist or something. But like the, I, I'm sure it's easy to say it's the coach's fault, just because anything general kind of gets blamed on the coach in the end. Yep. And you know, and it is their job to to be the person who says, "Well, no one knows what that is, so I guess I'm the one who has to fix it." But but I guess in more plain terms, it's probably caused by youth, by the the most of the important players. You know, we talked about Drew, obviously, he's much older than all of the others. Um, and and so all of the minutes, like at every line, there's somebody who's quite young by NHL standards. Uh, and I think you just get more variance. You just get more more of that inexplicable, well, I don't know what he's doing there. It's not what he's usually like. Well, what he's usually like is sometimes good and sometimes bad. And that's that's what people uh, are not going to see. So that weakness, I think, is that that you can actually get a run of a bunch of games where those sorts of like boneheaded decisions, the well and skill errors, will will sink the team for stretches at a time. And I think that's going to happen, even if they have a successful season and they do make the playoffs. I think there's going to be a few stretches where they just inexplicably drop games to weak opponents, to strong opponents, to whoever happens to show up in the rink. It's one of the best and worst things about hockey, right? Like so much of it is just uh, vibes. Yeah. I don't know if you've put vibes in your model yet, but I would suggest maybe adding them. It, it's funny, actually. I, I like grappling with what the variance of the sport actually is. Yeah. In sense, is the real like central thing that you're doing when you're trying to apply a mathematical model to a thing, and and you can you know you can measure as precisely as you like, but one of the things you're measuring is what is the natural variation of results. When I say that so-and-so is this good, what does that mean? Well, it means it could be this good, that good, this good. Like, there's a breadth of possible outcomes. And that breadth is is not just uncertainty. It's the reality of what hockey players are like and what they can do within a system where all of their opponents are pretty good and all of their teammates are pretty good, but no one's extremely good. And, like, you have that, that equilibrium and it leads to this sort of chaos. 
yeah, it's the most fun and infuriating thing ever. Right, I, um, I try to lean into it. Yeah, yeah, it's it seems to be working for you. Kind makes, of. The ch- makes the charts pretty. That's right. right. Yeah. Um, so since I have you more of a hockey expert than a specifically Senators expert, um, what do you think is going to be the biggest surprise in the NHL this season? Oh, God. Um, so like, did, I, did the model spit anything out and you were like, oh, okay. Um, nothing really. Um, Winnipeg, I think, is going to be really good. Um, and I don't think they're on very many people's radar. Okay. The, in particular, their offseason looked extremely good to me. Um, I thought they they made a number of movements. You know, picking up Gabe Velarde is just one. They made a handful of other changes where I think their forward group is now quite a bit stronger. Um, uh, I don't quite trust how they're going to deploy those forwards, but um, the, I, I think they're going to be quite a bit stronger than, than people expect. Um, there's a couple of there's a couple of weird curiosities where the divisional strengths are really weird. Like the Atlantic is still really strong because the strongest teams are the ones taking the steps back and the weakest teams are the ones making the step forward. You know, not kind of Montreal, who I think are still going to be bad. That basically everyone else in that division is going to have at least flashes where people are going to say, oh, I think this team is going to make the playoffs. And they're obviously not going to have seven of them making the playoffs. Whereas in the Pacific, and to a lesser extent the Central, there sort of are hardly any good teams. Yeah. You know, Dallas are legitimately good in the Central. Colorado are still pretty good. You know, Vegas are good. Edmonton are okay. After that, it's sort of really the, the wheels sort of fall off the entire division. But those teams are going to play with one another. They're going to get, you know, eight playoff spots out in the West. And the, it's funny, for most of my, like, formative years watching hockey, the, the West was so much stronger than the East. And, uh, and now it's the other way around. And so you get this weird, like, you know, the, the media attention has always been primarily on the East just because everybody is out here. But but I don't think I've seen the West Coast teams be collectively as weak as they are this year. You know, San Jose, like, people have been saying that they look bad. They look, on paper, they look absolutely terrible. Like, they don't have any players. Yeah. You know, Who is going to score any of their goals? Who is going to stop any of their goals? It doesn't look like there's anything there at all. And that's, like... You know, even if Arizona strengthens a little bit, which I think they have, they're still not going to be in the mix for a playoff spot. And yet, someone still has to win all of those games. So I think a lot of the surprises are going to come out of the West where people are going to go, oh, so-and-so, I guess they have 20 points in their last 30 games or something when you're, when you're not expecting it because there's no there's no thing to put your expectations on on almost any of those Western teams. Yeah, I think about all the time that all the time. Like, my early hockey years as well, the Western Conference was always the stronger conference and not by like a small margin, like a pretty significant, the West is way better than the Eastern Conference. And it's shifted so dramatically that I still don't think I've gotten used to it. Yeah. And I, it's been quite recent too. I think it's recent. Yeah. Three years ago, it, the West was still a little stronger. And, and of course they still have, you know, like Jason Robertson is still out there. Connor McDavid is still out there. You know, Nathan McKinnon is still out there. Like, it's not its not that there aren't good teams. And in fact, I, I picked the Stars to win the Cup this year in the preseason. And, and part of why is that I think they have a somewhat easier path. Yeah. But, um, like, it, it, both of the Metro and the Atlantic, there aren't going to be hardly any nights off. The, the Flyers, the Jackets, the Habs, that's basically the three weak teams in the East, as far as I can see. 
So you don't I, – I talked to someone about the uh, the Blue Jackets yesterday. Um, obviously more of a Blue Jackets fan, so I think that they're probably higher on their team than you will be because that's how being a fan works. Um, they – I think – I mean, I don't think that they expect the Jackets to be good, but um, I did get the sense that they expected them to be much better, if not just because one assumes their entire team will not get injured again for the entire season, which seemed to happen last year. And then also they seem to think the defense has improved quite a bit with the addition of Provorov, who I know you've never been super high on, and neither have I or really many Flyers fans, except for when he was playing well, which was not very often. Um, But yeah, I I guess you still think that they're going to be a bottom-of-the-barrel team. I do. And I, I agree about the, the point about injuries. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, it would be difficult for them to be as injured again as they were last year. And, and this, this actually is a around the league phenomenon where I, I, it comes out statistically too when you're making models. Like I, I did my preseason projections and I looked at you know, my sort of average quality on the ice and the average quality in the projections for the entire league is comfortably above the average that we saw last year. Okay. And, and the reason is just that that every team has a legitimate reason to think that they're better than they're going to be because you don't know who's going to be the teams that get hurt. And, and when teams get hurt, you know, those players obviously get replaced with weaker players. If they were the stronger ones, they would have been in a lineup in the first place. So, and, and that it's not just that, like, it's not just that it's random. It's that they can cluster so badly. And then if you, you know, you lose one guy, that's terrible. You lose six guys, seven guys for serious chunks of the season. That could easily happen. In fact, it could be 20. Like, not to wish Hades injury depth on anybody, but, I mean, injury depth is not a thing. I just made that up. But, like, <laughs> the, you know, just, just by, by analogy with, with actual depth. Right. But that kind of – so, on the one hand, like, for instance, I remember last year I had the caps reasonably high. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons I did was because I said, well, they can't possibly be as injured last year as they were the year before, but then they were. So, the, you know, you can, you can say, well, our luck probably won't be as bad as it was, but then it's luck, right? So you don't get to know. Like, and what it was in the past doesn't have any bearing on what it will be in the future. That's what luck is like. On the other front, though, like speaking about the defense core, I, I don't think that there's too much improvement. I do think, and this is kind of damning with faint praise, I do think putting Provorov in a serious position in the Columbus defense is an upgrade on that defense. Uh, but I don't think that is enough to make any serious yeah. improvements in the team fortunes. Looking at the Flyers from the place that you look at them from, um, we know they're going to be bad. Like, we're not. No one here is pretending otherwise. Um, but do you get the sense that maybe it may be a less painful bad than we've seen? Because that's kind of what I'm hoping for. Like, I know they're going to be bad. I know they're going to lose a lot of games. Actually, it would be good if they did because they could stand another good draft pick. But I'm kind of hoping the losses are more entertaining in a way. Like, They'll score some goals. They have some players that might actually have something resembling skill. Maybe they won't be a complete disaster to watch every night. 
Is that a crazy thing to think or, or am I onto something? Uh, I'm not quite as sanguine, but I think it's not crazy to expect. Okay. In particular, I think rather than sort of, rather than excitement, I think the, the sort of silver lining, if you like, will be that there are quite a few players who are maybe a little bit better than they have already shown. And, and there's a number of players where you think like every year you say, well, these are our guys who we think they're going to be good. And these are our guys who are going to play just because we got to fill up the roster. And more than usual for the flyers this year, I think if you look at a lot of those other guys, you'll see actually a number of those players could be regulars and they'll get chances to show it. Um, like, um, Cam York, I think, is going to be going to be pretty strong. I think there might be a step forward from him. Um, the, a few sort of unexpected players with some unexpected strength, like Noah Cates, I think, mm-hmm. should should show pretty well. He's looking like a really good defensive forward. Um, I like the look of Sedlak. I think he'll he'll be useful in a number of ways. And so I think there'll be a lot more along the lines of like, oh, here's somebody who is a player who is interesting can be moved up. And I think the Flyers, you know, sometimes you're winning a lot, you're really nervous about breaking stuff up, and you think, well, we've got to play it like this. And the Flyers don't have any of that stuff. You can say, oh, so-and-so scored three goals in the last four games on the fourth line? Move him up. You know, let's see more of that guy. Like, I think there's going to be that kind of optimism. And and if the coaching staff, as well as the, the management broadly, has an attitude of, we're going to just accentuate whatever good happens, and we're not going to have too many preconceived notions about what the identity is or how we have to play, then I think there'll be a lot of positives to take away. Even if there aren't, I don't expect that many wins. So I'm sorry to tell you that uh, the Flyers were so bad that we actually drove Lucas Sedlak uh, to leave the NHL entirely. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Pardon me. It was It was actually, a, that was one of those ones that actually made me laugh because when we got him, it was like, Who's this guy? Whatever. And then he was actually kind of fun to watch. And then uh, he was just like, "Yeah, I don't, I don't really want to do this anymore. So I'm going to go home." He was like, "Oh, well." That is kind of unfortunate. It is. It is because it. He seemed like a, a pretty solid NHL hockey player. So it's. I mean, going home is nice though. So maybe he just wanted to be home. Well, I mean, you can't you can't make people stay. And uh, and in fact, this is this is one of those things that I think NHL teams can maybe stand to be a little bit less like the NHL is the best league in the planet. Let's not, let's not pretend otherwise, but, but guys deal with a lot of different choices and plenty of, plenty of people are happy to go to a team that's not that great so that they can play close to their friends, close to their family so that they can get a money arrangement that they prefer so that any number of things. And there's sometimes there's a lot of like, Oh, you know, we picked you up on waivers and so now you belong to us. And uh, I think that can be a little bit unfortunate. And one of the things that you can do when you're when you're not under crazy expectations to win and win a lot is that you can be a little bit more relaxed in that kind of attitude. You can say, well, we don't have to be, you know, hardliners, treat our kids, our players like they're boot camp attendees. You know, we can just say, come here and play hockey, you know, and you do all the things. Like you, you don't have to sacrifice any professionalism, but you don't have to be nervous about being hard that way. I mean, you've pretty much just described Claude Drew, right? Like he he did a little cup chase in Florida, gave it a good shot, and then decided, you know what? I would like to play for the team that I really like near where I used to live. And my wife's from here. And this will be nice. 
we'll build a house for our kids. And like, I do think that you're right. Sometimes people look at that as like a, a lesser choice, but like, he's probably really happy. Like you said, right? Like he's, he's chill. Well, and not every player has the same motivations either. There are some right. players who are incredibly hard nosed and, you know, and they're like real politic all day, every day. They only want to work the gym, get the wins. Don't want to talk about anything else. And, and there are teams for which those guys, and, and of course, and that temperamental stuff, the, the thing that bothers me, I don't, I, I don't mind talking about that. Every now and then people are like, oh, you know, you analytics nerds, you only care about numbers. You don't want to, you know, not interested in what people are like that. But, but what, the only thing that bothers me about it is when people assume that the temperament of the players or the coaches or the management or whatever determines the results. Mm. When in fact, from what I, as far as I can tell, the, the temperamental concerns and the, and the results are almost totally separate from one another. That some people, some people are just laughing and living laugh and, and, and they're happy to score constantly even while they're putting you know, traffic cones on their heads. And other people, you know, Brady Kachak is sort of who springs to mind, who's extremely good. That, and other people are extremely, are extremely business and yet just aren't particularly good. And then, well, and then you get the other way around too, where people are like Crosby, who's like a, a robot, that who's obviously extremely good, and like that. But all those things, like if you're a management team, you you want to be able to accommodate those things, both of those things. You want to say, well, we're going to build the best roster we can. That's it. But you also want to say, we're going to have a mixture of personalities that works. We're going to have a working environment where people want to come to work, that including the managers who don't want to be like riding shotgun over every single group of of hockey players who are after all trying to entertain people anyway and and so that but like that balance where you say well we're gonna have this and we're gonna have this and we're gonna have this and we're gonna have this that becomes that much harder in a in a environment where you're like i don't know any number of teams like edmonton for instance where the expectations are insane yeah. we're going to pretend like the flaws in the team don't exist we insist that you win and win constantly but, you know, you, when you don't have that, at very least, you can say, well, we're not going to stress about these extra details, about the attitudes, about exactly how people go about their their business. We're going to let stuff emerge. We're going to let ourselves be surprised a little bit by what we see on the ice. And in particular, we're going to let ourselves be surprised in a good way. When we see something we like, even if it's not where we expected it to come from, we're going to say, great, go with it. You can have an extra role. We're going to celebrate you. We're going to just let the good things happen to us. Yeah, it's almost like this is a bunch of human men doing things. Right. <laughs> they might laugh when they've lost eight games in a row and you're not really allowed to get mad at them for it. I mean, you, you're good at, like, that's the thing too, like when luck turns against you, when luck turns against bad teams, it's not just a crushing defeat, it's a, slow grind of two weeks where you got one shootout lost point mm -hmm. like and and so one of the things that you have to do when you're you know even if you're going to win a bunch of games which i think the flyers are i don't think they're like you know they're not in the sort of san jose terror territory of bad like there's there's tears to to badness as well as to goodness but even then there are going to be stretches and in fact the, the media and i looked at this once before she went to work for seattle that that in some sense the the streakiness of outcomes, this is probably just coincidence, but it seems to be worse in Philadelphia. That the the like the streaks of wins are longer, the streaks of losses also longer. The 
the the movement. This is what we were talking about earlier about players. You know, where where you say that so and so is this good, but that means a range of outcomes, and so you're going to get this performance on this day and that performance on another day. The same is true for teams. Uh, usually, when you have a bunch of players in the team, you expect that that stuff will will blend in. You know, where where the strengths of one and the weaknesses of the other will counteract each other, and yet somehow the Flyers managed in recent years to somehow do the opposite to have the to have the good things reinforce one another in the good times, but the bad things also to reinforce one another in the bad times, and you get these weirdly, you know. And if you're part of why it's relevant though is that if you're a manager or for that matter, a fan going into a year, you have to kind of steal yourself for weirder than just, oh, you know, there's going to be ups and downs. Like it's going to be, you're going to have these, these surprises where you're like, we only have four good players on the team. They're all playing badly right now. Uh, and so we have lost 10 straight. The, or actually we won two of those games, but three guys got hurt. And so it's, you know, like, so the vibes are rancid. You know, you've got to, like there'll be stretches like that. And one of the things that you have to do, especially if you're working on the team, is is be ready for that emotionally. It's actually somewhat comforting to know that the the feeling that we've been cursed by a witch that I think a lot of Flyers fans have been holding on to for a little while um, is actually uh, not all the way fake. We do have... For some reason, weird clumps of bad things that seem to last forever. And uh, yeah, it stinks. I don't like it. it. It's one of those things, too. You do enough data work, and eventually you just get into things where you're like, huh, and you just sort of stare at something for a while. And and you can, you know, you're, you're always living in this limbo where you know stuff, but you don't know why stuff. Right, right, right. Because you can't possibly. Right, and... And so it's tricky, of course, if you're doing analytics, you're trying to you're trying to explain what is repeatable, and you're trying to pin down what you can pin down. You're trying to just learn in a broad way, and which is the same work that managers and coaches are doing at teams with different tools. And and one of the things that you learn when you meet enough people in the sport is that at some point, you know, no matter how smart coaches are, who are and, and head coaches are all insanely smart, that you know they they still look at something and they go, I don't know. What are you doing here? Like it's just there's, there's only there's only so much you can know about a sport. You know, whenever people talk about oh, it's so exciting, an element of that is a fundamental unknowableness about about exactly what will happen. You can get a pretty good handle on what could happen. Mm-hmm. You can you can describe that pretty well, but but a specific on the day event, you know that I mean that's where you get these sort of like oh my god, we must be cursed. The, or the or on the flip side, you get these sort of team of destiny vibes where you're like, how did that possibly happen? Yeah. Uh, and it's fun in Philadelphia, of course, to watch sports Philadelphia sports fans enjoying the Phillies this year, who who are doing a little bit of the latter thing where you're like, how do they do this? The, well, the thing is, I think that uh, everyone in Philadelphia has figured out how the Phillies do it, and that is, you know, that meme where it's like, this sign can't stop me because I can't read. <laughs> like, that's the Phillies. Like, it doesn't matter if they get, like, the other night when they, you know, lose in the ninth inning or whatever, because the next day they're like, wait, what happened? I don't remember. And then they just go off and and do it again. Like, they're just a bunch of, like, big doofuses. It's delightful. 
it's I mean, as mentalities go for a sports team, you know, it's not one of those identities that you, you hear people talk about, but you could do a lot worse. Yeah, for sure. A bunch, Especially a bunch if you have some kind of talent to fall back on, right? Exactly. So it, it helps that, that most of them are actually good players. But the, the fact that I think that most of them are also just like big, dumb puppy dogs, it also seems to really work for them. Just a bunch of vibes. Well, and, and so one of the, this is sort of heterodox in a way, but one of the things that I, I believe about sport management is that those kinds of things, those kinds of emergent properties, you have to let them emerge. You can't, you can't market them except after the fact. You can't, in particular, you can't coach them. You can't decide, oh, we're going to be, you know, fun this year. Well, are you? Do you have fun players? Mm -hmm. do, you kind of play, do they have the talent to fall back on? Are they just going to lose and be sad? Because that's not fun. Not fun. But, and you also can't say, you know, we're going to be super professional. We're going to wear suits. And we're going to, like, you can't, I mean, do you have the kinds of players for that? Maybe you do. And, and so if, like, if there's a, a kind of capital A analytics take on that kind of team management thing, and this goes back to what I was saying earlier about, about the Flyers specifically, is that they have a chance to let some interesting stuff that they don't expect come out organically from the team. And, and I, I yeah, and I hope they do do that because that's actually this we're getting off on a tangent here, but like the there seems to be a very deliberate attempt to form an identity for this team. They, you know, the Tortorella thing and like they're apparently obsessed with the fourth line that they've put together because identity um and I, I, I do wish that they would let it happen, like you're describing, more organically. Like maybe the vibe isn't, you know, Nick Deloria and Garnet Hathaway. Maybe the vibe is Noah Cates and Sean Couturier coming back and being like a monster again. Like let, let the identity develop rather than assign an identity and hope that these players all fit into it. Wow. Yeah, I agree with that. And I should have mentioned Couturier earlier when I was talking about like guys who can be <clears throat> who can be bright spots for the Flyers this year. That, I mean, especially especially among nerds, it was an article of faith that Couturier was, you know, a few years ago before he got so badly hurt that he was, you know, a marquee player in the league or ought to be treated like a marquee player in the league, but he never was. Yeah. And he never got that kind of you know, even even when he was playing at his best, he was kind of overshadowed in Philadelphia a little bit by Giroux. The, um, which I, you know, no harm to Giroud in any way, but I thought that was a tiny bit unfair just because Couturier I thought was, was just as good or even better. And, you know, that kind of... And there were a lot of people who, you know, three years ago, four years ago, who would say things like, you know, like Couturier is second only to Bergeron kind of thing in that kind of, you know, player archetype. And and for whatever reason, you know, you would... This is the sort of thing that, that nerds would say to one another with, with no particular affiliation where they, they'd see the same names crop up again and again and people who are really helping your team. And, and you'd say it to Philadelphia fans and you'd get outraged sometimes. You'd never fully understand why. And, you know, people, people hate that. When carpetbaggers from other teams come in and say, oh, this guy you know who you don't really appreciate, he's so good. People despise that stuff. But yeah. But, you know, long-term injury return, always extremely dicey. But if he gets back to even close to what he used to be, that's a big shot in the arm. And, uh, you know, and he's not that old. So there's still, there's still plenty of life there. And, and you could, you know, 
going teasing that into the stuff where you're saying about Tortorella and identity is that you could take a lot of Tortorella's strengths. I don't know how easy it is to manage John Tortorella, but you can take his strengths, his X's and O strengths, which I think are very, very strong. In terms of like, you should be here. This is what should be happening on the ice. I think he was one of the strongest coaches in the league. If you could somehow get a lot of that and get a little bit less of the like, this is how you have to conduct yourself, young man, stuff, yeah. Yeah. which I think is, is one of Tortorella's weaknesses, the then, then I think you could get something really good. In fact, I, I think there's some slight encouragement. Like I, you know, I'm not a Flyers fan exactly. I, sometimes I describe myself on Twitter as a Flyers fan fan. <laughs> I, I sort of uh, ingest a lot more of the Flyers culture than you might expect. Like I, I listen to interviews with John and, and with, um, you know, the stuff that Charlie O'Connor is putting out. And I think there's some little hope for optimism there that maybe maybe the attitude from the coaching staff broadly is going to be a little bit more flexible than it was in the last year or two. Yeah. Yeah. That, that seems to be the, the general sense, I think at least it would be really good for Philly. It would be. Okay. So now I'm going to ask you to do something completely based in zero fact or analysis. And that is to guess what the final score in this game will be. <sighs> 3-1 Ottawa, all of the Ottawa goals in the third. Oh, that's that's a very specific and also spicy prediction, and I like it. Super competitive early. Okay. One goal for the Flyers in the second. Three goals for the Senators in the third, and then an empty netter. Okay. I'm going to say... I'm also going to give this one to the Suns, but I'm going to make it closer, and I'm going to say 2-1 Senators. I'm going to say Claude Drew has a goal because I would like it. So... <clears throat> Good playoff win. Yes. Micah, thank you so much for joining me and doing this. I really appreciate it. Pleasure's all mine. And I'm sure everyone listening to this knows where to find you on the internet, but if you want to just go ahead and tell them, why not? So I'm still on Twitter, even though Twitter is falling apart. Um, I'm at Ineffective Math. It's a joke about how I have a lot of math degrees, but couldn't get a full-time math job. <laughs> you can also find me on Blue Sky. I'm at NBM, which is just my initials, which I feel is, is sort of a, the old classic style. And of course, there's a website itself, uh, which is hockeyviz.com. Um, you've probably heard that it's a subscription site, which it is, but don't be put off by that. There's lots of free stuff too. So you can go check out all kinds of stuff without having to give me any of your money. And then later, you can give me your money. Absolutely. You should be giving Micah at least $5 a month. Because you can. And then you should also give Broad Street Hockey $5 a month. If you've not subscribed to the site, please consider joining our little family. We have a couple of tiers. We're putting out some good content. We're going to be doing lots of podcasts like these and stories and fun things. So if you are on the fence about joining BroadStreetHockey.com, please consider doing that. Micah, thank you again. I hope that you enjoy the game. I hope uh, all the boys just have fun out there. And uh, go Flyers. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Kelly. It's great to talk to you every time. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.